This is Jim Inkster, and thank you for joining us for Talk Louisiana. Robin Dow producing. Signature support is from East Baton Rouge Parish, Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom, and our show originates from the Investar Tower in Baton Rouge. We begin the week with David Madlock. He was appointed Secretary of the Department of Children and Family Services last month, and he previously served as Chief Judge of the Juvenile Court for Caddo Parish from 1999 until 2023. So that's 24 years playing a pivotal role in moving the court to a trauma-informed care approach, focusing on addressing childhood trauma and mitigating trauma. And he is here to talk about his new responsibility. And as we know, this is an agency that through the years has had some issues, and part of it is a personnel issue, but we'll get the take from a man who's been there now for a month and has some knowledge that is unique to this subject. Judge Madlock's a Shreveport graduate, graduated from Bird High School as a National Merit Scholar, then went to LSU in Shreveport and earned a doctorate degree in law, Juris Doctorate, from Baylor University. Good morning to you, Judge. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for having me. It's a great opportunity, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, thrilled to be here, to be honest with you. Well, it's a pleasure to talk with you, and this is an important uh, situation we're dealing with and you are of course a guy who comes with a lot of laurels but some would say why did you take this job some would view it as a thankless uh, position honestly i'm supposed to be here uh it it's uh you, uh, you know the the bride of my youth uh was willing to uproot her life <laughs> and um and help me in this and i i, I cannot tell you uh how grateful i am to my family and particularly to my wife mary um, it is everything. And this agency is about family. I spent the weekend here in Baton Rouge with my youngest granddaughter and her father. And, and I've emphasized with our staff, focus on your families. Um, and let's be an example. And all of that starts at the top. Uh, the example modeling and so forth starts at the top. The good ideas start at the bottom generally, to be honest with you, the closer you are to the, the folks actually providing services, line workers and others. And, that's where the real work's done. That's where most of the really good ideas are from. But uh, we need to be a good example and show that families matter. Uh, there's nothing more important. It's, there's no more institution in, in human 3,500 years of human history. The family is the most important uh, institution that we have, and uh, we need to support that and, and support family structure. We know that so many of our issues deal with with real challenges of our society incorporating changes. Uh, don't get me started, Jim. Okay. Pick well, a subject. Well, you're but... obviously passionate about your job, and that's the way it should be. And uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, 877-217-5757, or talk at talklouisiana.org. For Secretary David Madlock, recently appointed head of the Children and Family Services Agency. How many employees do you have? We have about 3,700 employees, uh, we do three huge areas of service. One, uh, child welfare, foster care, all of those things associated with that. Two, we do family support. That includes SNAP benefits. It includes FITAP, uh, what might have historically been referred to as welfare. It includes uh, child, in, uh, in child support enforcement. It includes uh, disability determinations for Social Security and other uh, issues leading with uh, dealing with family support. And then the third area that we do, which is critical, is, deals with mass emergency 
support, emergency preparedness, working in hand-in-hand with the Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness. We help man and, um, and actually uh, implement large uh, uh, shelters and uh, help coordinate a lot of those services statewide. And what folks don't realize is that that's a year-round responsibility. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't learn how to do it. And honestly, Louisiana sets an, a great national example. People come here to learn about emergency preparedness, and it's a, it's a, it's a really powerful uh, and important part of what we do. 877-217-5757, your number, and talk at talklouisiana.org. We will go to the lines, and I have a few emails related to Secretary Matlock, who uh, has the same name that Andy Griffith had on there his go. show. There you go. But, there you uh, go. Cousin Ben. Yeah, but you, you were a judge for many years, and you have a, a judicial bearing. How does that translate to the job you have now? It's it's different. It, it is a totally different perspective. Um it, it helps. And you mentioned I was chief judge from 99. I was actually a, ju- a juvenile judge for some years prior to that as well. And at one point, we employed 100 people. There's a lot of difference between 100 and 3,700, as you can imagine, uh, and understanding the, the budget, civil service, uh, the infrastructure, uh, uh, transportation issues, and, and many other. i got to emphasize, while I've got the chance, um, we need foster parents. We have some crises facing. You alluded to it earlier, facing uh, the Department of Children and Family Services. We are hemorrhaging, were hemorrhaging uh, employees. Our caseloads are way too high. Uh, That results in a number of problems. Uh, Many of our case areas should be carrying about 10, uh, a caseload of 10, and they have multiples by multiples by multiples, many orders of magnitude, sometimes more than that. And that's not fair to the worker. It's not fair to the families. Um, and and honestly, uh, for decades, this uh, that section, child welfare, has been somewhat pillaged because it's state general funds largely. So a lot of the stuff we do, it's funded by FEMA. It's funded by federal reimbursements, 100%. And so, you know, people go after what they can control. And uh, obviously, we have a responsibility to be fiscally responsible with every dollar, whether it's whether – it's, um, uh, federally reimbursed FEMA or other, but but uh, state general funds are those that the legislature that can control the the executive branch can control, and so uh, you can't do that for decades and then expect people to be uh, morale to be what it needs to be, services to be what they need to be, and it results in this sort of toxic. Uh, it's 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 a bit of a spiral downward. Um, I hate to say death spiral, but you you caseloads are too high. So these wonderful people who have chosen to dedicate their lives to protecting children, they've got should have a caseload of ten. They've got a caseload of sixty or a hundred or fifty or thirty, and they can't do it. Their heart they came into this because of their heart, and their heart is literally broken because they cannot serve the people they need to serve, and they they leave because they have to. And then guess what? Their caseload of 30, 40, 50, 60, or many times, sometimes more, goes to someone else whose caseload is already high. And then you hemorrhage more employees and you end up in this this death spiral. And we're pulling the yoke on the plane right now. We're pulling it back. We will not know when we've leveled off. We won't know when we've begun back up until it won't, we won't realize mm-hmm. it in real time. 
we will know it six months, 12 months after it happens that we have begun to emerge, but it's going to take a lot of dedication. We've spent a ton of money on shiny things, wonderful things that in a vacuum, they're beautiful. They're wonderful. They're, they're the things you need. They're wonderful programs. Um, Again, Jim, you kind of got to shut me off. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I uh, appreciate your passion. Now, uh, first question from a listener, uh, Secretary Matlock announced a couple of weeks ago that Louisiana is declining uh, funding from a federal program that would provide food for children in the summer. Tell us more about this. The um, We anticipate serving this summer 3 million more meals than we were ser- serving pre-pandemic. We anticipate serving, and, and I say we, the state of Louisiana, not DCFS, uh, we, through summer, various summer reading, uh, feeding programs, we anticipate serving about 1.8, and I said 3 million meals, uh, more than pre-pandemic. We anticipate serving about 1.8 million more meals this summer to children than we served last summer. There are problems, there are Many of those meals will be done in a congregate setting. They will be done in uh, what, I, what I'd call grab-and-go type setting, but they're more direct uh, food service. And there are advantages to bring – some of that is through school programs. In fact, all children eligible for school lunch, all schools are going to be who provide uh, free lunches are going to be able to do that this summer. Other uh, – all those schools plus governmental agencies uh, and, and uh, approved – uh, other private agencies, private groups can come in and provide summer feeding programs, direct benefits. There's a synergy. One of the things. But but what is the reason for rejecting the federal opportunity? Because we're, I'm getting to that, honestly, Jim. There is a huge synergy that comes from a free school lunch. Guess what? School brings children, they get to eat, food, and having that availability helps encourage children to be in school. Now, being an old child welfare judge and now a, a secretary dealing with, with child welfare, child abuse, child neglect, why do you want eyes on children? I want, I'd want. i like people to have eyes on children because they can see that they're being well cared for. Some are feeding programs that are, that are congregate, in-kind meals and grab-and-goes. You get to see the child. That child can be attracted to a recreational facility that builds resilience, which helps uh, helps children overcome um, uh, uh, trauma, pre-existing trauma, and it's a huge thread that runs through everything that we do. And it also helps for educational programs. There's a synergy to bring a school that, a child to that. All right, hold tight. Yes, we'll sir. be back in 89.3 seconds. This is Jim Inkster. Thank you for joining us for Talk Louisiana. We're visiting with Secretary David Madlock of the Department of Children and Family Services and his agency, which he has stated has 3,700 employees, deals with many, many issues involving our kids. And in Louisiana, we have a high rate of poverty and a lot of kids who need assistance from the government. Now, the question that we were uh, dealing with as we headed to the break was this federal funding for children during the summer for food, the USDA calculated that about 600,000 state children would have received over $70 million in food if we had taken part. But uh, David Madlock says the state is doing it in a different way. But is there, would it have been possible to do it both ways to have uh, the state participation and also get the federal funding? The, the one other 
bit of context that I would want to provide is that Synergy, if we're providing free food at these uh, community organizations, schools, and so forth, there is a Synergy not just with the rec- recreation, but also with the educational programs, summer reading, uh, tutoring, uh, classroom activities, educational activities, but also the recreational. And one of the most important parts of that is not just the Synergy of learning, addition, of, of advancing in school, but also the relational aspects because having an older adult who cares is a huge impact on a child's welfare. It's also eyes on a child to make sure that that child is fine. The fiscal reasons associated with this, the Department of Children and Family Services is facing an internal fiscal cliff of $35 million a year. I need to hire 300 employees. I need a a fleet of vehicles. We have cars that are 2001, 2003. Our caseloads are completely out of hand. I have got to hire people, uh, and those people need to be appropriately compensated, but it's the caseloads that are driving so much of what. And I don't have 35. I don't have 35. And this program would have cost the state how much? It would have cost the department $3.6 million. It would have cost the Department of Education another, I, I don't know, roughly 3.4, okay. so roughly $7 million dollars it, to the state. Like anything else, it comes down it. to dollars and cents. Yeah, okay. It does, and honestly, Jim, um, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm done with generational poverty uh, traps and benefit clips. The best social program is a job, and, and the pathway out of poverty is workforce development, it's job development and economic development and educational opportunities. I'm also done with spending money that we don't have. Our, our folks are borrowing money from our grandchildren, from people we don't like, that our grandchildren aren't going to be able to pay back, and I'm done with it. I don't want to dig into, I don't want to Poor things in that build that create more poverty. We're providing 1.8 million more meals this summer, anticipated. We're trying to, than we provided last summer. I got you, but and and three million I, more than we provided pre-pandemic. I'm I'm not sure and, we're going to resolve this today, but sure, but obviously I'm, you would have received more in federal aid than the state produced. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. The state would. Correct. And, Correct, uh, but your your that. personal budget, yeah, it doesn't I, flow. I don't in. have the I got money. You, I got you. I okay. don't have the money. I'm, I, I, I can't. I, I can't take care of our prime mission is to protect children from being abused and neglected by their parents and caretakers. To well, this help. may be a better question for the division of administration. Well, I, I'm, you know, that's that's them. Our other our other mission is and the primary mission that all of this is, is to give people a pathway. It, it, I literally, when I walked into the office first day outside my, my, uh, uh, elevators there, the mission is written and it says to protect children and families from being abused and neglect, neglected to help individuals and families become self-sufficient. You don't do, and to protect us in, uh, mass, uh, emergencies. You don't help individuals and families become self-sufficient by creating pathways into poverty. You do that by creating pathways out of poverty. And and but guess what? I love school lunches. I love free direct congregation. It, it is the synergy, the relational benefits, the 
the ability okay. to, to we, We've it's got great. some folks waiting to talk with you, as you might expect. So I ask Good. that our callers be concise in their remarks to Judge Matlock. And probably your guests, too, well, right? Yeah, if you could, if you could uh, make it more concise, that'd be helpful, <laughs> too. Right, uh, right. uh, Donald in Wakefield. Donald, you're on Talk Louisiana. Please be brief. Hi, Donald. Good morning, Mr. Inkster. Good morning to you, sir. I have a two-part question. Why, when you call Child Protective Service, do you have people answering the phone that tells you, oh, you got to call the hotline, but none of them have the number? All right. Thank you, Donald. Well, that, that is a great question, and I will make sure they are supposed to have that, and uh, that will be on my agenda when I walk back into my office this morning. That's a great question. I can tell you at a fundamental level that and many other similar questions have to do with those caseload problems that I was talking about. Child welfare has been pillaged for decades. We need to uh, bring money, resources and um, to that. In order to do that, I have to save money other places. I'm going to be cutting programs, contracts, shiny things that are very glamorous, but that don't fulfill the prime directive of this agency, uh, which includes protecting children from abuse and neglect by their parents and caregivers and helping individuals and families uh, become self-sufficient. Now, so caseloads drive all of that. Mike and Villa Del Rey. Mike, you're on with Judge Matlock. Hello, Mike. A A lot of synergy there. Uh, Good morning. Sir, you're just not credible to me. Well, this, what's your question, Mike? Uh, would rather well, not. The seventy-seven million. What's the difference between turning down the seventy-seven million or the money for the high-speed? All right. Well, you're getting off on tangents, but I thought the secretary made his point that the, the money doesn't. The seventy-one million doesn't go to him; it goes to the state, and he has to fork over three point six million for a, uh, an agency that's already in the hole by. 35 million. So uh, you can understand where he is. Now, as I stated, this is probably a question that would be better directed to the Division of Administration. HB in Denham Springs. Good morning, HB. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, Judge, in my line of work, we visited many homes where we see many juvenile children by many different men with the same woman. And we're having a lot of problem when we refer them to your agency. Because later down the line, if we didn't get something done there, we're going to see these juveniles committing crimes. And then when they turn adults, even more serious. All right. And HB is a former law enforcement officer. Problems often begin in youth. Not not, not often. I almost always begin with uh, how we're reared or not. Uh, Does he have a point? Childhood trauma uh, and, frankly, unresolved, unresolved childhood trauma in adults is a huge factor. Oftentimes the mother or uh, the, uh, the parent, uh, often the mother in juvenile court, 28 years old, and we would find out what's going on. She's just the eight-year-old in the courtroom 20 years later, and it is generational. It absolutely is, and so much of it is driven by family structure, uh, by fragmentation of families. I need to make the point while I have even a chance. We need foster parents. We need better communication with foster parents. We need engagement of foster parents. We need support of family of, of foster parents, not just by the agency, which is absolutely essential, but also by the public at large and CASA programs. Right. Yes, Phil, sir. Phil in Jefferson Terrace. Phil, please be brief. You're on. Good morning. 
Good morning, sir, and, and, and good luck to you. What is your question, I'm Phil? Governor is the climate denier, what is your question, Phil? Denier. What is your question? My question is, how do you, uh, if you don't raise the minimum wage, if you don't support the working families, then how do you expect them to have any chance? All right, well, he's not involved with the minimum wage. He's involved with the Department of Children and Family Services. And uh, I understand that uh, sometimes uh, you have to make tough calls and you have to also adhere to the wishes of your boss. And uh, I suspect there were others who were involved in this decision we talked about this morning. Without getting down in the weeds, would that be a fair assessment? I, I take responsibility for my decisions and, um, and, and the, the government should as well. And, and my primary mission, I'm given resources to do my primary mission I intend to do my very best to fulfill those. We also need court-appointed special advocates. Sorry for keep right. slipping those well, in on you, Well, let's, let's bring you back, and we'll talk more about that. Absolutely you're, you're, love you're, it. I, I love your passion, I, and uh, you took all comers, and I admire that as well. Thank you, Judge Matt Locke. This is Jim Inkster. Thank you for joining us for Talk Louisiana. Robin Dow producing, and in studio, we're joined by Mary Lee Orr. She is a gallant warrior on the environmental front, and she has led the Louisiana Environmental Action Network for most of its 28 years, and good morning to you. Good morning, Mary Jim. Lee. Such a delight to be here this now, morning. Thank we you. talk with uh, General Honore on a frequent basis, but... Mary Lee Orr is there every step of the way, and you've actually been around a little bit longer than he has. Uh, almost 40 years. Almost 40 years. <laughs> My entire adult life I've spent in this space. I said I'd do it for six months, so here I am. Well, you take great passion in what you do, but as we know, most of the battles at the Capitol, you don't win. So how do you keep your chin up? Because I've spent most of my time in communities and helping change the dynamics there and promoting, uh, discussing these issues and empowering people and following their agenda and not other people's. So I think um, the capital is kind of the end result sometimes, and that's a hard nut to crack. Um, it's a difficult space, which is why we appreciate, I want to say Eloise Wall passed away yes. on Valentine's Day. One of your... and she, she's one of our warriors, uh, our steel magnolias, I would say, and she would be marching down those halls, and she wasn't afraid of any legislator. So um, I don't go there as much, but I certainly appreciate all the Green Army and our liaisons that go there. So thank you. Well, in Louisiana, we have a lower life expectancy than most other states, and one of the reasons often given is uh, the fact that we live in a polluted environment. And these jobs that have been created by these big chemical plants are a necessity in our state uh, for us to have the lifestyle that many of us have enjoyed. But some believe it's uh, it's a cost too high. Now there are others who say that look, we've got we've got uh, people who are generally overweight in the state, who smoke, who don't live, don't exercise. Uh, that it's more of a lifestyle issue than it is an environmental issue. How do you see it? I see it as a big challenge, obviously, and I think that all those things might ha contribute to it, but we need to lower the exposure that we have, and I think talking to each other is the most important message I can bring to you. I mean, talking to the different sectors, talking to the government, I was into the judge, that was great, uh, hearing his opinion, and then also talking to industries who are up and down the corridor. We have the highest concentration of almost anywhere in the world, right? Uh, right. I, I tell someone we're like in the belly of the beast, so our job is to um, make it safer for workers. Uh, just a little back up a minute. Union workers helped um, organize and form lean, 
And the first co-director with me, her husband was one of the locked out workers in the 1980s. At that time, the uh, United States longest lockout. So we understand that the workers get the exposure first and then the community. So we want to make it safe for everyone. Mary Lee Orr, the dynamic wonder who has been doing this for almost 40 years and defies <laughs> the clock. She is a bundle of enthusiasm and uh, is, is that way despite, as I noted, facing a few different setbacks through the years in a state that is largely dependent upon industry that sometimes does bad things. But some believe it's overblown before we go to the callers. Uh, some believe that Cancer Alley is a myth, is it? That's a longer conversation for sure, but I, I will tell you this. I think it's our home, and we want it to be safe for everyone, and that's our job. And it doesn't matter whether there's a Republican in the office or a Democrat in the office or what your religious preference is. We're here to help to make it better. I love the fact that I don't have to um, answer to certain people, that we answer to the people that we serve, and we answer to our consciences. And our whole the environment is really the foundation of the house. If it's not strong, the rest of it's going to be weak. All these other issues that you talk about, if we if you're not in a place where the air is clean or the water's clean, mm-hmm. the air, et cetera, it's not going to be a good foundation. But maybe someone's going to want to chat about that. <laughs> 877-217-5757 is your number. Doug on I-10. Doug, good morning. You're on Talk Louisiana with Mary Lee Orr. Hi, Doug. Doug. Good morning. Uh, one of the highlights of the Louisiana Environmental Action Network's uh, accomplishments has been almost 30 years ago, uh, they showed that uh, the expansion of regulations under Governor Romer, which is maybe the last time we had a really uh, substantive expansion of the environmental regulations in Louisiana, but it was actually good for the economy in addition to the health benefits uh, because it entailed spending money on up-to-date technologies, and they had to hire people to do that. There was an economic multiplier effect, and it actually created jobs. And the myths that doing things to protect people was going to damage the economy are still around. They're very strong, but Lean showed over 30 years ago that that's not the case. Right. Thank you, Doug. And recognize that gentleman, don't you? I Doug did. Daigle. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, I promise you I didn't pay him. <laughs> he's quite passionate about the environment as well. And uh, it is amazing in a state like ours that we don't have more people like you and Doug and Eloise and General Honoré. But uh, for the most part, we live and let live, and um, sometimes we deny reality. But on the other hand, uh, some people uh, remember the term environmental wacko, environmental wacko. I bet you've called that, been called that a time or two. I'd like to tell you a few of the names I've been called. Yeah. Some of them I can't say. <laughs> but um, I was called in the 80s a communist a witch with a bee, uh, ice princess. Um, I, I started this work not because I wanted to be an environmentalist. I started the, this work because my son was born with lung disease, and I saw what it was like to see someone who couldn't breathe. And then further on down the line, my brother died of pulmonary fibrosis, and I actually could see the result of having bad air, right? So mm-hmm. I thought, I'll do this for six months because I wanted to be safer for my children. So really it's about families and moms and dads and grandmothers who just really want to live in a safe environment. And I love where we live. I love it. I really do. And I think you have to fight for it. And, yes, I'm very enthusiastic about it. And, by the way, we have marched. We've litigated. We've done everything. And I hope that we bring those experiences to the table to be able to make change. 
in different ways. And I want to talk about some of the exciting projects we're doing too, but well, I'll, I'll do got, whatever Jim well, says. Yeah, well, you, you've got uh, so many that we can't mention them all, but as usual, you have a, an agenda for the regular session of the legislature that will start next month, right after the two and a half week crime session. And what, what do you view as the principal objective in the, in the first session under the new administration? Um, well, I think to sometimes to stop something is as important as um, pushing something through. I'd say probably we've been lean has been best at stopping things that people don't even know about. That would have been terrible. And I think we'll just have to wait and see. I, I don't think people feel like the legislators or um, the environment's not on their radar, Jim. I don't think. Um, so, but we, because of that, we've been very creative in our new projects that will affect everyone, that it doesn't matter about the legislation. Well, it matters about the legislation, but it will go forward with or without the legislation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. What about air monitors? Um, I talked to a, 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 a lady on the other side who says that the, the industry itself does a better job monitoring air because they do it right at the source. They don't, on, it's not on fences and, and that the, it would be unreliable to do it the way the green army wants. How do you respond? We've responded by getting a half a million dollar grant from EPA to do mobile air monitoring. It's never been done before. We're doing 300 linear miles between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. The cars have sensors that pull in air every second. Um, it is absolutely extraordinary. Jim, I would have prayed this would have been available to communities 30 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago it wasn't. This is an award-winning technology that we're using, and I think it can be transformative in this space because, yes, industry does a great job of monitoring themselves, but you've been here when DEQ had 1,200 employees, right? They're yeah. barely up to 700. Um, you know, their bandwidth is... They need help. And this this project is about talking to everyone, every sector, about what we find. So isn't that exciting? So you're in favor of more air monitoring? I'm in favor of monitoring that is helpful to communities. Right. Real mo- like well, not just in Is there a mistrust though? The industries do measure this from in, internal sources, but do you trust their information? We're doing the mobile monitoring so communities will have their own information is the best way to put it. But I do sit down with industry. It's very important. I think what we've lost now is the art of civil discussion. We're not discussing things with anybody. We're so polarized about every issue, not just the environment. So lean is a space where you can come if you're industry and you're a manager and you have an idea and discuss it with us or your community and you're upset about that industry and you want to talk to them. So I think we need a, a lot more bridges and a little less. I don't want to use that word. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might trigger a lot of people. You might get a lot of phone calls. Do you talk to the other side? Absolutely. I have my entire career. You'd almost have to because do. the people you deal with largely are, quote, on the other side. But is the legislature, as our friend Foster Campbell implies, are they uh, – he once said we should fly the Texaco flag from the Capitol because they own it. I remember that. Uh, um, I think the legislature is an animal unto itself, and I, I'm probably not your best legislative expert as far as legislation comes and goes. I know generally what we want to do when we go there, and I applaud people who go. I really do. But my lifetime has been spending communities, 
and empowering communities. And we're doing a curriculum of K through 12. That's another thing. I hope you'll invite me back. We can talk about that. I because will. these are these are long-term things that'll be here in place beyond our lifetime. When you're like 100 mm-hmm. and you leave us. Mm-hmm. 877-217-5757. There was a story in the New York Times yesterday. The Biden administration is not going to enforce that uh electric vehicle mandate by 2030 that's off the board now uh, what do you make of this well I find that you you've stated that I've lived through a lot of uh, administrations and I really wish there'd be an administration that thought about the people and had a long-term plan it wasn't just like a political football um, like the LNGs I don't we don't need to get into it but do we need to do that I mean is that the right plan? Um, mm-hmm. You make a promise to people and then you break it if you don't win. We don't know if that's going to happen. So that's why we try to work around that really um, fickle dynamic, if that makes sense. All right. We'll pick up on that and visit some more with Mary Lee Orr and also hear from Molly Ryan of WRKF and WWNO. She's covering the Capitol. And there is a crime session beginning today. In a few hours, Governor Jeffrey Martin Landry will address lawmakers. We'll talk about that and more when we return after this time out. This is Jim Inkster. Thank you for being with us for Talk Louisiana. A few more minutes with Mary Lee Orr of the Louisiana Environmental Action Network. And then we'll hear from Molly Ryan, who's at the Capitol, as a special session on crime is set to begin. David in Atlanta. David, you're on Talk Louisiana with Mary Lee. Good morning, David. Good morning. There was a frightening article about a week or two ago, I think, at the Washington Post or the New York Times. Because of human-caused climate change, which is scientifically provable, there's been many droughts and high temperatures, which has caused wildfires across the planet. And Louisiana suffered from that. Those wildfires are releasing tiny, tiny particulates that can cause lung cancer, respiratory disease, heart disease, and many other ailments. All right. What about David's observations? Thank you, David, for that great observation. These mobile monitoring cars that we have out there running 18 hours a day, Take in one of them is PM 2.5, which are particulates, which scientifically now we prove what communities have been saying. If you're exposed to it long term, low amount is as bad as a huge amount. So um, we need to lower those numbers, and that's part of what this air project is about. But we have to do this together. We, it's like you can't be a one legged stool, you got to be a three legged stool. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> or we might fall over. But thank you, David. Yeah, that's very, it's true. And, um, I think everyone who's been doing this for a while feels a lot of um, pressure and I don't know if pressure, but incentive to make changes because we don't have a lot of time not to. Carol in Jefferson Terrace. Hi, Carol. Hey, um, I can vaguely remember open sewer ditches in Brookstown and uh, Lake Providence, the Capitol Lakes, green clouds coming out of chemical plants. And the only thing to save you is, is, um, the wind and the i just don't want to go backwards all right is it better than it was believe it or not it is it's a lot better but it took a lot of levels of discussion i want you to know we have we have marched we have had discussions but we've also litigated we litigated for 12 years over the ozone issue here Mm -hmm. in baton rouge and we won twice at the supreme court so sometimes you have to take it to a more serious level. But yes, sir, I do remember, Mr. Carroll, that those were the days and things caught on fire. And um, believe it or not, it's better. But it's not where we need to be yet. 
And we will be inviting you back soon and very soon. But what about the LNG uh, controversy? Um, I think that we're not planning. We're not thinking ahead. We don't need this. And um, I'm concerned. I know they put it on pause, right? Um, and what are they going to do? I mean, we have to think about what's good for our state and where they're going to, whether this is a good idea at all. It's, it's thinking and planning and caring about the environment, but most importantly, the people and the resources. And I can't tell you how honored I am to be invited. Well, I hope you will, in fact, well, invite yeah, me it's back. It's been, been too long since we've talked uh, on the air, but I see you occasionally off the air, and it is always a highlight. This is a, a person who effuses enthusiasm. So we need more people like you and fewer cynics like me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a deal, maybe, but I'll look forward to it. I don't think you're that cynical, but I want to thank you for being so fair and listening to people and letting them tell their stories because it's so important. You're a really important voice here, Jim. Well, I love you, so you too. Thank you, Mary Lee <laughs> I do love you. All right. And we're joined now by Molly Ryan, who's at the Capitol, the Capitol reporter for WRKF and Governor Landry issued a call a few days ago for a 16-day, that's one six special session of the Louisiana legislature on crime and public safety. It includes two dozen topics for state lawmakers to weigh. And good morning to you, Molly. Hi, good morning, Jim. What's your perception of where we're going? Are lawmakers going to be um, on the ready and eager to embrace the governor's objectives? It seems like it so far. Um, There's about 30 bills now that have been filed for this session. And every single one of them is meant to get tougher on crime. Republicans especially are really looking to crack down on crime during this session. And of course, fighting crime was a centerpiece of Governor Landry's campaign. And it was when he was on the campaign trail that he promised voters he would call this special session on crime. Um, And that is what they're doing. Several of the bills that have been filed will kind of undo the criminal justice reforms that were done about six years ago under Governor Edwards. Um, Several bills are looking to limit parole eligibility, and others will cut down on good time that people can earn while incarcerated um, if those are passed. And there's even some bills in this session um, that will allow anyone who's 18 or over in Louisiana to conceal carry a gun without a permit, which that's probably the bill that has the least to do with fighting crime. But Every other one seems pretty on par with what Governor Landry wants. And the concealed carry measure is one that other states have embraced. Louisiana being a state that loves its guns, uh, some would say, why did it take so long? But Governor Landry has a point of view on crime that is much different than its predecessor. And he also is pushing for the death penalty. Governor Edwards, as we know, in his final days as governor, said he's against it, doesn't want it, like to get rid of it. But uh, Governor Landry, Molly, has a totally different perspective. That's right. Um, And there's been a bill that is filed on the House side uh, by Representative Nicholas Muscarello, who's a lawmaker from Hammond. And it would expand methods of execution in Louisiana to include electrocution and nitrogen gas. Um, Electrocution was used decades ago, and nitrogen gas was just used for the first time in Alabama in an execution um, just a few weeks ago. Lethal injection is the only method that is used right now, although Louisiana hasn't even had an execution in over a decade. Um, And I actually talked to Representative Muscarello about this bill a few days ago, and, you know, he 
told me that this bill is meant to shield drug manufacturers from any liability for providing the uh, supplies used in a lethal injection uh, execution. But of course, if it passes, it would expand to include those other two methods. And um, it's a controversial issue. It's a controversial bill. Um, it's already raised a lot of concerns from activists against the death penalty. And even several leaders within the TV and film industry have come out against this bill and suggested that they might leave Louisiana if lawmakers pass this bill and if Louisiana starts up executions again. Well, the governor is also trying to get the legislature to create an office of state public defender under his purview. The Louisiana Public Defender Board, created in 2007, is already part of the executive branch, but not directly part of the governor's office. The guy who heads this, uh, Ramey Starnes, a former LSU football player who's on the LSU board, is backing Governor Landry. Of course, he is also hopeful of retaining his board seat at LSU, which expires in a few months. But what do you make of this? I mean, I I can't tell you much about other than that about that bill right now. Um, I think there's what I can tell you is I think there's so many interesting bills during this session. As I said, there's about 30 of them. and they all are going to, you know, deserve a lot of attention um, and receive a lot of attention from the public, I think. Um, there's another bill which I think is, you know, really interesting, but it would reverse the raise the age law that was passed in Louisiana. Um, and so it would lower the age that someone can be tried as an adult from 18 to 17. Um, and so I only kind of know the surface level of these bills right now. and They haven't been brought up. And, of course, several of these might not pass and they could be amended. Uh, but we're heading in a direction where Louisiana is definitely going to change the way um, it it tackles criminal justice. And it's going to get much, much stricter, rigid, tougher um, in terms of the actions we take when dealing with crime in Louisiana. Well, a listener notes that Governor Landry did not get everything he sought in his first session. And uh, that is true. And uh, this time around, he may not get everything he wants either. That's part of government. But he does have a largely compliant legislature that's dominated by his party, the Republican Party. But the listener notes that Danny McCormick's legislation, the one we referenced that would allow people to carry concealed weapons without a permit, is opposed by many law enforcement leaders. Now, Governor Landry is a former law enforcement person himself. But he believes this is the right way to do it. It's that old axiom that the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. But are we risking uh, being the wild, wild west if we go this route? What do you think, Molly? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always definitely some of that risk. And, and this is a bill that has come up repeatedly in the legislature. And it came up during the regular session last year. Um, and, of course, it didn't pass, so lawmakers are bringing it up again. Um, I, I don't know that I could see this bill not being a priority this session um, just because there are so many bills. But if it's not a priority, I do expect it to come up again in the regular session. And I think it will continue to come up um, until it passes um, just because there are you know so many lawmakers who want to see this bill passed. The governor also wants uh, lawmakers to provide immunity from liability to police officers and public agencies at employment, that protection would be extended to persons allowed to carry concealed handguns. 
And so the, the governor is uh, hawkish in a lot of ways on crime that the previous governor wasn't. We, we acknowledge there is a crime issue in our state. And uh, the question for lawmakers is, uh, do we reinvent the wheel or do we keep things the way they are? And I think most of the inertia is to change, Molly. Yes, I, I think that is the inertia there. Um, you know, Landry has repeatedly said that, you know, nobody should feel unsafe no matter where they live. And he's calling, you know, these increased sentences um, uh, and carrying out death penalty sentences and things like that. He's saying that the state has a contractual obligation to victims to basically get tougher on crime. And obviously, I think one hope that Landry and lawmakers have is that. Well, we do have to roll, but we'll follow it and be calling on you again soon, Molly. Thank you. Stay safe and stay tuned.